What's good? This is Kelsey, founder and fearless leader of Dope. You are zoned in for an episode of Soberpreneur, a look at what happens when we deal with our past shit, talk openly about that shit, and go do other awesome shit. Today I sit down with Sam Morris of the Unbreakable Man Project. After a DUI, five stints in rehab, and dozens of relapses, here he is, seven years sober. And now, with the Unbreakable Man Project, helping others who are struggling find the path forward to a better life. Listen to our conversation about his personal battle with addiction, mental health, and the power of will. Sam truly is unbreakable. Thanks for jumping on, Sam. Thank you for having me. So happy to be here. Tell me real quick, like, who is Sam Morris and a little bit about what the Unbreakable Man Project is. Right. That's a good question. So who is Sam Morris? Um, Still figuring it out. I don't know. I mean, I, always. <laughs> That's never going to end, I feel. Um, so Sam Morris, I grew up in Vermont um, playing tennis a lot as a kid. It was a, it was something that was a kind of release for me in mm-hmm. a sense that, like, I had a, I had a lot of allergies and asthma as a kid. So I was, you know, really afraid of social situations and uh, eating any kind of food or breathing some kind of pollen or anything like that. And tennis allowed me to kind of, it did allow me to isolate for one, but it also allowed me to get out and do stuff um, otherwise that I was otherwise afraid to do. So I grew up in Vermont, spent the better part of my life up and down the East Coast, uh, college, actually high school in Tampa, college in North Carolina, um, lived in North Carolina for a little bit after that, and then back down to Miami to South Florida for a bunch of years. And then um, what, was the there? what kind of drove you to the different states? Work, family? Yeah. So um, originally the, the move to Florida in high school, I got really sick my senior year of high school and I, and I got mono. And so I missed like the mm. middle three months of the school year. And so that's a big time for um, tennis, like athletic programs to look at you. And I wanted to play tennis in college. So mm-hmm. um, I decided to go do a postgraduate year at a tennis academy down in Florida. And so that was the move to Florida and then back up to North Carolina because one of the colleges there that I like recruited me. So I played tennis in college. And then um, after college, I met my ex-wife in North Carolina and she was from Florida. And then we decided after a couple of years of being married that we wanted to move to Florida just for the weather and the beaches. And we both liked tennis and her family was down there. So yeah, we went to Florida and then we got divorced when we got to Florida and I moved on, I moved down to Miami um, with a buddy of mine who had an extra bedroom and that's where I stayed for the next five years. And that's, that's in that, with your yeah. friend, um, mo- for probably three years of that, I was with, living with, we, we had a, like a three bedroom house and we lived there. Mm-hmm. And then, um, that's so nice to have that like support system when you go through oh, such a my. change. Yeah. It's so, yeah. I mean, I didn't even call him. I just, him. I just showed, yeah, I showed up at his house and I was like, well, cause he, oh. I mean, he kind of knew what was going on. So yeah, I just did it and I called him or I, I showed up at his door and he's like, I was like, well, it just happened. And so he's like, well, come on in. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you know, I, it, it I know we'll out. get more into your like journey into sobriety, yeah. but were you drinking at the time when you went through yeah. the divorce and yeah. How, yeah. how was that? Um, so yeah, I was, I was drinking, we met, we partied a lot together. We, um, it, it, it was really like looking back, I can say there was definitely some toxicity and some alcoholic behaviors on my part in that part of my life, but I didn't really have any of like the, the real secondary, like real hardcore alcoholic consequences or anything like that. Um, if like to say that my alcoholism ruined my marriage, that would be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, to say that I didn't really have any clue about what was going on in my life at the time would be correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so that, and that was definitely 
part it's like of one thing like, leads to the other. Yeah. Yeah. Just like just not knowing what uh, who I was, what I was dealing with, my mental state. Like there's yeah. th- there's things in the background that you know the layers of the onion that we talk about. And mm-hmm. so, um, looking back, I can say that like you know maybe getting married probably wasn't the best idea. And then getting divorced, like that, that just led me down a road of having to make some really t- terrible and harsh decisions. That ended up being really good, but at the same time, like a lot of it could have been avoided if I just had a clear head. And yeah. so, um, it's 2020, Sam. Don't beat yourself up. <laughs> hey, I, you know, it's totally. It, you say 2020. It's funny because when I moved here to Austin, the first apartment I looked at was 2020, 2020 South Congress, and it's the, the oh, year is 2020. Yeah. Yep. And my, when I, my first my first trip to rehab, my patient number was 2020. Wow! I know. <laughs> I I'm know. I'm a little eerie for you then. Some cool stuff's gonna happen this year, I think. Yeah, I think so too. That's awesome. So, um, so one thing that did happen when I got divorced was that um, I kind of like I, I classified it as blowing off some steam, but I went crazy. I I, I went nuts with the drinking and the cocaine, and just partying in Miami and just living it up. I was doing commercial real estate, so I had. Money mm-hmm. and I, I had money and I had autonomy over my schedule, which for yeah. for a person that's about to be a full blown alcoholic is a very dangerous recipe. Yeah. So for the next three years, um, it was kind of a, a I, I call it a slow decline, like a slide down the slope. Yeah. And then when I hit 33, that um, I turned 33 in 2006, and um, at the end of 2006, and then 2007, that spring, it all came crashing down. Um, I got a DUI, ended up in rehab, mm-hmm. no, no clue about sobriety or the fact that I needed it or the fact yeah. that that was for me. I just, kn- I, I knew my life was out of control, but mm-hmm. I didn't really know. I did. I, I never either. I didn't admit, or I didn't see probably a little bit of both, like definitely a little bit of both that alcohol was the reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought, you know, I thought like when I got the DUI and I went to rehab for 30 days, it was like, you know what? I'm just, I need a timeout. That's all. I just need a timeout. Yeah, then, just a little reset. Just yeah, just a little reset. Yeah. And so did you have, see like um in your professional life, you know, you were working real estate, like had you seen effects of, you know, your troubles with alcohol or cocaine like affecting your ability to perform? Or were you just sort of like, look, I'm a rock star, like I can do this and works fine, which I think is often it makes it really difficult to say you do have a problem when like you're still doing your job, you know, for the most part, things are still moving. Yeah. Um I was teetering on that fence. For yeah. sure. I mean, yeah. I was still showing up to work and I was still closing deals and I was still, you know, interacting and being a good employee. I wasn't really, like I said, there wasn't like, I wasn't missing work. I wasn't losing out yeah. at the same time. I was definitely showing up at work on very little or no sleep. Um, starting yeah. after, starting Friday. No, absolutely not. Um, I, it could have been a lot better experience if I had a little bit of a straighter, a better head on my shoulders at the time. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. Less and then, <laughs> what, what's that? Yeah, less of a headache probably would have made it a little better in yeah, the morning. Less, less hangover, less headache, yeah. or even a little bit of sleep, something. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so when I when I got that DUI when I turned thirty three, um, that was kind of the beginning of the end of my first stint in real estate. And because I I got a DUI, my license got suspended, and I didn't have a driver's license, and I came out of rehab, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is all crazy here. I have no idea what's going on. And so um, I stopped working and about three weeks later, I think I started drinking again. And mm-hmm. that, and that was, and I was, I mean, within a, within a week, I was right back to where I was pre rehab just cause I didn't have any like idea that I needed to change. Yeah. I just didn't. I, I mean, 
what happened in rehab? Like, you know, that's kind of a mystery process for some people. What did happen for you? And then I guess, what do you think made it not, not stick at first? That's a really great question. So what made it not stick for me was that I didn't need it. That's what yeah. I told myself, you know, like, like even when I was, yeah, <laughs> yeah, even when I was in rehab, I refused to say I was an alcoholic and it was like a big deal to mm. the counselors. Like, why don't you say you're an alcoholic? And I'm like, cause I'm not. And mm. then finally, I remember I said it like one time, like about the fourth week, I, I just wanted them off my back. So I was like, I'm saying I'm an alcoholic. And then they were like, wait a second, what changed? And I'm like, nothing. I just don't want to hear it from you guys anymore. Yeah. And so I wasn't in a place to admit it at all. Do you think that has something to do with sort of like our society's framing around what it means to be an alcoholic? Like it, it makes it difficult for, you know, someone in your position, what you'd gone through and everything you've described, like it seems pretty apparent there was a problem with alcohol, but that that like verbiage of it is so hard to swallow at first. I remember the first time I said it in a meeting and it's like, it, it's uncomfortable, you know, you're, you yeah. feel like it's like moral, like shaming, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Like you're admitting some serious like flaw or something just from how we were all yeah, raised to think of it. Yeah. I mean, like I had the idea of an alcoholic living in a, under a bridge in a shopping cart. You yeah, know, like that like was my idea of alcohol. Like many months, and he smells bad. <laughs> yeah, like I, a complete stereotype of like yeah. a, a bum or a, a, yeah. you know, a guy that lives on the street. And so I was like, I'm not that. Yeah. Even though I had, I mean, looking back, I had tons of evidence. But yeah, there was a huge disconnect there between what yeah. I thought an alcoholic was and, and what I was doing. You're such a testament to this. Like I say sometimes that, um, you know, in my example, I am so grateful that I stopped in time before I got a DUI. And sometimes I say, you know, it was, it's hard for people who, you know, don't get a DUI or don't like fall in that like stereotypical, like going down the alcoholic path. But even for someone who got a DUI, you still felt like, you know, it wasn't a problem. So it's, um, yeah, there's so many layers of this where like alcoholism is just like such a mother to like rewrap how your brain views yourself where like, it's almost like no matter what your situation, it's not as bad as so-and-so, you know, like, oh, I'm not like them. <laughs> like you want yeah. to. Yeah, no, it's so true because, and I think yeah. that keeps a lot of alcoholics sick. Yeah. Because like, for example, um, this is what, this is a, a real life example for me is that in, on June 30th, 2018, I, w- I woke up on Saturday morning in California and I woke up to like three or four messages on Facebook about some cops being outside my sister's house in Vermont. And mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, I've, I hadn't heard from my mom or my sister, my other sister at all. And I was like, I was like, I don't, I have no idea what's going on. So I called them, called my mom, and she said that Amanda had passed away. And she, what she ended up dying of was alcoholism and cirrhosis of the liver. And I think that she was like the high functioning. Like she had a business mm-hmm. and it was a small town and she had like none of the symptoms that I had. Like she wasn't falling off balconies. She wasn't getting DUIs. She wasn't ending up in the hospital. Like none of this stuff was happening to her. And I think that she's an example of like it didn't look like mine. It, yeah. it wasn't like in everyone's face, you know, like mine was like, there was no escape. I, there was no escaping it for me and yeah. the family wasn't escaping it either. It was, it was out there. Like there was no hiding it for her. It looked different. So I think that it, it kind of stopped her from really looking at it is because it, it, it didn't look like mine. And I think that's a lot of alcoholics. Like they stay sick. Yeah. And, you know, I, I work with a lot of professionals that are just like, they, they don't have the, the stereotype we're talking about. Like, oh, I still have a family. I still have a job. I still drive a Mercedes. Like, whatever it is. Yeah. You know, it's like the, the yets. That's when the yets come in. Yeah. I think like the empowering people to know that you can decide when enough is enough and getting down to more of the discussions on like, 
how do you feel about your relationship with alcohol instead of what effects is it having on your life yet? <laughs> um, yeah. And figuring I mean, out why you're drinking and, and trying to explore it from that angle. Yeah. And it's, it's so hard too, because like when you don't have the yets, it's, it's yeah. like, Oh, it'll never happen to me. And yeah, yeah. That's you know, like, I feel like part of my, part of my, um, the Unbreakable Man project is like, and when my sister passed away, like, you know what? She didn't have those yets, but like there, she, like I paid every consequence of an alcoholic jail institutions, except that last one, which is death. And mm -hmm. that's when the, that's the one that she paid. And so I, I immediately, when that happened, I was like, you know, like, I went through all this stuff and yet I didn't pay that. And so like, yeah, how do you get guys that have a potential problem to see that like they don't have, it doesn't, it, this is the end game for them. Like that could yeah. be possibly for them. And to know yeah. that like, you know, just like the little things, like, you know, are you drinking a little extra during the week? Or like, I always talk about an emotional hangover, mm -hmm. you know, that like feeling of like, it's just not right. Like some, eh, I had fun last night, but you know, everyone else is kind of like, Oh, we had fun last night. And you're like, yeah, but I feel like I might've had too much fun and yeah. like nothing happened, but you just, it sits wrong with your soul. And I think mm -hmm. that's the first sign of an alcoholic is like, you know what? You might not have the consequences. You might not black out from your first drink, but like there's something that you know intuitively about it that, that doesn't sit right. And it's, it's a huge yeah. red flag. Yeah. That's something's up. Well, I mean, for one, like, thank you for sharing um, the story about your sister. I'm sure that's not easy to like relive and remember every time, but I'm, I know she would probably be so proud of you for going yeah. off and, and taking this work to be your, your life's work. So tell us like, what is the unbreakable man project? So the unbreakable man project is um, it's the evolution of my wellness practice really. And it went from um, just, you know, it started off, I'll, I'll be honest, it started off as, physically I related a lot to the Bruce Willis Sam, uh, Samuel L. Jackson movie unbreakable. Um, I went through a lot of physical stuff um, in my alcoholism and that's like, and growing up too with like asthma and allergies. And then um, one time I, I fell off a balcony drunk 35 feet and walked out of the hospital a couple of days later, I got hit by a bike on my, I got hit by a car on my bike one time and again, walked away from that accident. So I kind of had this thing in the back of my head, like I'm unbreakable. Uh -huh. And when I was drinking, that was a dangerous, dangerous idea because it was yeah. like, it was just, it was full on ego, full on arrogance, full on just like F you double birds, like I'm unbreakable. And, and so that, and then after I got sober, it turned into like, you know what, like I got cancer twice from drinking. I, you know, all I had, I had this like thing, all these things, but like it turned into as I got sober and, and started helping other guys is like, the will inside of me is unbreakable. Mm -hmm. And like, I, it's not just me. Like we, we have this un unbreakable will inside of us. We have this unbreakable spirit inside of us that, that we, all we have to do is tap into it. Like, and to be, and to be, to be an unbreakable man means like that you just, you show up in the world as, as a, a protector and as a provider and as, as you know, you, you provide safe place for your family, you provide safe place for other men to come in and talk. Like it's, it's about not being, it's not like, you know, unbreakable as far as like a real rough and tumble thing. It's about like, just tap in and create space and hold space for, for the other, yeah. for your loved like ones. Emotional resilience too. So totally. Yeah. Really cool. I think like, do you think you started going down this path to create um, you know, services in this realm when you were getting sober, there was sort of a gap for this. Like, did you find different 
to lean on or were you kind of like, uh, am I the only one going through this? <laughs> yeah. <Hello>? yeah. <laughs> Bueller, Bueller. Yeah. Um, so that's a great question. And then you talked about, when you talked before about rehabs and like that first time I went through rehab, like I had no intention of being sober. So I didn't really even like care to notice like a, a step down or any kind of like re-entry. But as I went through more rehabs, which I ended up going through like five, I started to feel a humongous gap between like the setting of rehab and the safety and like getting the work done there. And then you just like, here, back out into the real world. And it's like, you know, you're like, but I've changed. And like the real world's like, yeah, but I haven't, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, well, wait a second. Like, uh, so uh, you just, you're kind of lost. Like, yeah, like, like that readjustment. The readjustment, the readjustment and like the just, learning how to like like a huge thing for me for example was you know self-love and this, and i had this social anxiety mm-hmm. um that, that was the reason i drank the reason i kind of like started drinking in the first place was social anxiety and then all those years I, the year the from 33 to 38 when i was like full-on alcoholic trying to get sober the one thing that always take up taking me out was like social situations or going on dates mm-hmm. and like that's something in rehab they just don't there's no preparation for that there's no there's no real re-entry program. They, they can right. give you, they can give you like a, um, a relapse prevention program and all that stuff in rehab. But when you, when you get back, like these guys I was working with were like, they, they come out of rehab for 30, 60, 90 days and their kid starts crying at four in the morning because they have a newborn or like, you know, like life is still happening. Yeah. Just now that the alcohol has been taken away, it's, you're so raw. And yeah. So vulnerable. And then like making sure you have the new tools to deal with these types of situations or hard emotions or yeah, um, and things like that. And I think you break a great stereotype here because it's like, you know, from what you've shared so far, you know, athlete and your uh, real estate, you know, good looking <laughs> dude out there making money, having fun, all this stuff. And you still had social anxiety, you know, it just, it's so yeah. perfect. It doesn't uh, doesn't pick and choose. Like everyone can think from the outside that you've got it all together, and you're probably just you know crazy like life of the party. And um, oh yeah, but you still have your own internal battles. Yeah, I like to call them dragons. <laughs> <laughs> and I had I had dragons inside. Game of Thrones esque. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Slay some dragons. <laughs> so yeah. uh, so then going forward, so this last time I got sober, um, you know, it was one of those things that. I can't even put my finger on why or how I just knew there was no going back and like, and whatever I had to do to make sure that I didn't go back to living that way. Mm-hmm. I just, I just was, I was, I was, I did it. And one of the hugest, the, the biggest tool in my toolbox. Hugest is, is fine. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> the hugest tool in my, in my yeah. toolbox is, uh, is vulnerability. It's like mm-hmm. opening up to another guy. You know, and like, and you learn how to do that in, in AA or in, you really, it kind of starts in rehab with the process groups and like, you, they ask you to do it, but you're like, uh-uh, no, like, <laughs> you know, there's a resistance to it at first, but mm-hmm. I got to the point where when I moved to San Francisco, you know, I, I don't even remember making the decision, but I just, I went all in on, I went all in on sobriety. You know, I went in all, all in on like meeting guys that were sober instead of going to bars to meet guys. I went to like, you know tennis leagues and and AA meetings and like met up with other friends that like to watch sports and all this stuff and so mm-hmm. you know part of it is is like now I have a, a solid group of like four to five guys we actually there's four guys I have we send gratitude lists back and forth every day 
And one of one of the one of the gratitude lists is like we're about to hit a thousand days of of sharing gratitude lists. We're at like nine ninety four. That's awesome. Gra- yeah, and it's just like it's you know what like it's it it starts off with like oh I'm grateful for you know the Red Sox winning the World Series or whatever, and then, and it gets and then it, then like after about thirty days you know you you run out of like superficial stuff to be grateful for, and you're like ah, oh. and now now it's like I'm grateful for this list or I'm grateful for you or I'm grateful for my girlfriend or my wife and like yeah. you know like you, you really like you it's you just chip away at like what are you really grateful for like what's real and then as you get yeah. to know these people like i can't tell you how many times like the guys my my core group has saved my life from like breaking up with a girlfriend and going through heartbreak and just having them be on the other line just be like you don't need to talk and it's mm-hmm. like give, give me 10 minutes or like yep let's go now and like have that like back and forth with these guys and like and we and it, it's a total five-way street or whatever you want to call it because it's it goes back and forth for everybody into like the vulnerability and having that core group i mean aa meetings like that's how it all starts but like mm-hmm. to take away the fellowship and the and the and the and the guys helping guys like that's the biggest thing yeah yeah so awesome i need like a girls helping girls list i love this idea <laughs> that's yeah awesome. it's a game changer um, yeah i think one other area you're uh um, you have an interesting angle to talk about is just like the viewpoint from people on relapse, you know, mm-hmm. like you are so strong in what you're doing now. I think it's, how long has it been? Seven years. Yeah. Seven years now. And like, I mean, five times trying and some people probably would have been like, Oh, he's never going to do it. It's never going to stick. Like how many people tried to give up on you? And, um, you know, people start to like turn their nose up at, you know, someone who's said they're going to get sober and then falls back or you give up on yourself. Cause you're like, look, I failed twice. It's mm-hmm. obviously never going to work. Like yeah. what would you say to someone that's kind of in that boat? Like first time relapsing, feeling like a failure, like it's so easy to get down on yourself, but you just kept trying. Yeah. And I, I mean, f- five rehabs, there was hundreds of attempts within, uh, within those. I mean, there was like a 30 days here relapse, 60 days yeah. here relapse. And, um, you know, I, for a long time, I said that, you know, it was um, relapse as part of recovery and history has proven and there's facts out there that, yeah, it takes some figuring out to do. But the, the people that like the, the beat themselves up for the relapse, the last thing you want to do is beat yourself up. Like I, mm-hmm. I mean, it got to the point where like people were giving up on me and they're like, and you know, my family was like, what are you going to do differently this time? And I get, you get so tired after, after getting asked that question every time yeah. for five years, it's like, I, I just, I don't know. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I don't it know what I'm going to try. That's what I said at the end. Yeah. I was like, I, I'm not, I don't know what I'm going to do differently. I just know that I'm not going to give up. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just going to keep trying. And that's the only thing is like, there's one thing that you can never do. There's, well, when you really want to get sober, the one thing you can never do is drink, bottom line, period. But when you're trying to get sober, the one thing that you can never do is give up trying. Because once yeah. you, once you give up trying and, and you stop, you just say I'm done or like everyone believes I'm done. So I'm done or I can't do it. Or AA doesn't work for me, which we can go into how wrong that statement is. But, (laughs) um, you know, like you just have to keep going, like keep trying, like it it happens. Relapse happens Mm -hmm. and just use it. I mean, I'd say this is a tough one because it can be used as like kind of a, you know, a get out of jail free card, but use it as experience, use it as knowledge, you know, use it as power, like learn, and it took me, it took me getting to like a bitter end where, you know, like I can say like my rock bottom and my end are two different things. 
you know, my rock bottom was, it, it could have been any number of things, but my end was just my end. Like it was over. I just knew, I just knew it was over. And so if you, yeah. it's like a the, weird clarity. <laughs> yeah, it, totally. Like, just like, and that's the thing, like since that day, like, I don't know, I look back on the first like nine months or a year when I went from North Carolina sitting alone in my house at 4am in North Carolina to that, to about a year later, I was living in San Francisco. You know, I don't really know what happened in that year. All I know is that like, there was no turning back. And that was the end for me. And that was like the point where I said, I had enough pain because mm-hmm. you'll know when you have enough pain and just, you, you just have to keep your head down. I mean, yeah. it really is comes down to it. So, so powerful. It's awesome. And um, thank you for sharing your story. I feel like um, I made the decision when I was uh, 21 to try getting sober, you know, like maybe I just stopped drinking for a little bit. And like, you know, if you just turn 21, you're trying to stop. Yeah, I went like four months and I still have the journal entries from that time. And like at the end of the four months, um, around the time when I was going to start drinking again, I, I wrote saying like how great like life had become and how good I was feeling. And, um, you know, I just can't wait until I can have a few drinks and stop. Oh, yeah. And then like, literally like you flip a few pages forward and it's like, oh, I just like, I blacked out on this trip with work and like I did X, Y, and Z things. And it was just right back to it, you know, and it took me a couple more years of stumbling of, you know, how, how many more times would I try um, until I finally made the decision myself. And that same feeling of just like, it was one night, not unlike many I had had before, mm-hmm. you know, like blacking out, woke up in a strange place, had done things I regretted, you know, all that good stuff. But it was just like, I am so done doing this. Like, I'm so done apologizing for stuff I don't remember. Yeah. And it was just, you know, just sick of it. And I feel like my own like stubbornness and determination was just like, I'm, I'm really going to be done. I just don't want to like keep, like scaring my family anymore and like mm-hmm. letting them down and letting myself down. And then as soon as you like stick with it enough times, I feel like the like gifts of being in recovery just like start to unveil themselves. And it's like, Oh, well, I'm not turning back now. This is freaking awesome. I yeah, <laughs> like 6am on a Saturday and I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Like when you look forward to going to bed, not because it's like a terrible day, <laughs> but because you're so psyched for the next day. Yeah. Totally. It's amazing. So two, two things that um, you reminded me of there. One is that um, intention matters so much. Like people can tell when you are coming from a place of pure, like real, real intentions. Like that's what shifted for my family. And like the people that loved me was like, they saw that my intention was different. And mm-hmm. like when it comes to like making amends or just like doing this stuff, like it's obvious to people. Like when you're in, when, so my, like a lot of times my intention was, it started off as like, get my girlfriend off my back, get my family off my back, mm. get, get, get back to doing work, get back to whatever. And so there was no, there was no intention of really, really like living a different way until yeah. that, like, and I think that one thing that like the listeners can say, can look at is like, when you're ready to get sober, like make sure the, the intention is high, 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 pure intention, because that's going to go, that's, that means that you identify with being sober as opposed to just like, I, I, I should be sober or I want to be sober. You know, like when you, when you know that like I am a sober person and, and then you go forward and own that, it's it just, a, it's amazing like how much growth happens. Yeah, totally. You um, talked a little bit about uh, when we spoke before about your, um, 
you know, journeys with mental health. And I just love to mm-hmm. hear from you, like, how do you see, or from your personal experiences, you know, the intersection of mental health and addiction? Ooh. Um, yeah, I think mental health and addiction, I mean, ad- addiction is a, a, a mental disease, right? So mm-hmm. I think that there's, um, there's a correlation between the behaviors around a mental illness and the behaviors around addiction and depression and anxiety. And, and I know that for me, um, like I kept, I, it's funny, this more sober I get, the more little addictive things that I, and I say little addictive things because they're not, as, they're not as harmful as going on a five day bender. But mm-hmm. like, I'll notice, like, I sometimes still tell people like I drink water alcoholically. Like I, I, I will not, I can barely yeah. even stand to have a glass of water in my hand because I'm like, I got to finish it. And it's like, <laughs> and it's like, I'm like, I'm aware of this now. And I, I catch myself doing it too. And I had a conversation with a buddy of mine recently about, um, about how, how like intentionally do you use your phone? And I'm like, no, like what happens? And I notice, and once, and once you become aware of things like this, there's no going back. It's like when they say like a head full of AA and a belly full of booze is miserable. This is the same way. Like when you realize that, the 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 little things about the behavior the character flaws and stuff like that that you that you do and once alcohol gets cleared away and then you know it's layer it's again layers like you clear away the alcohol and for me i cleared away the alcohol and my next hurdle was social anxiety and i had to and back to the phone real quick um i was like yeah like whenever i send like an uncomfortable text or like whenever i send off like a big email my first thing my first thing is like grab my phone and open up like a game or Instagram and start scrolling. I'm like, ah, like what's like, sit with it for a second. Like what's going on there? Trying to like jump into mental distraction, jump into distraction. Yeah. So for me, like I knew that social, I knew that social settings were a huge hurdle for me because I had, they took me out so many times. So when Mm -hmm. I got sober, like one of the things that I made myself do was like, I I made myself go to go out and watch Michigan football games on Saturdays. And I made myself go to like, if someone like a group of friends was going out, I was like, you have to go do it. And, and there was no question about drinking at this point. It was like, you just have to go be social because mm-hmm. this is how you're going to get over that hurdle. And so I did that and I, and I handled that social anxiety and got to the point where like I go out and like, it's like, there's, there comes a point when you are so comfortable with it and own it so much that it, like people don't even notice. Like when you, if you're, if you're squirrely and like, Oh, I'm not sure what I should do. Like drink, hold a, hold a drink in my hand. Like that's when the questions are going to start coming. But when you go out and you're just like, no, I don't drink. And they're like, oh, cool, whatever. And it's, it, that's a huge thing to recognize for me was like people just don't really care that much. Like yeah. As long as they have a drink in their hand and they're doing their thing, like it's fine. Yeah. It's like so much more in your own head. And I find like the funniest thing is when I seem like the drunkest one in the group because I have <laughs> so much energy. And then they're like, wait, you're not drinking. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you'll get to that point where you just actually like over the top. <laughs> Yeah. You just like feed off the energy of the room, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so with mental health, like, you know, you clear away like the, the, the real big deal, which is the alcoholic behavior, the ending up in jail, you know, the, the break, like broken relationships, all that stuff, you clear that away and you realize that all that stuff for me, what happened was all that stuff was based around depression because I got, I cleared away the alcohol. That was fine. And then I got over the social anxiety hurdle and that was fine. And then four years into sobriety, I had a great girlfriend. I had an awesome personal training job. I owned my own company and I was living in San Francisco, had a dog, like all the things. And I was like, I'm miserable. Like what's going on? Hmm. And like, and I was like, it's gotta be the weather. It's gotta be the San Francisco weather. It's just cold and wet and raining all the time. Yeah. Like it's got to get to you. 
Yeah, Carl the yeah. Frog, exactly. And so I made it up that like it was that it was that my girlfriend mm -hmm. lived 35 miles south, and like that was mm -hmm. a problem. Like, why couldn't she just live closer? Like all these things that I made up were a problem. So my solution, and this was a huge learning learning point for me in my sobriety, because there was no, this was I equate this to a relapse. I didn't relapse, but what I did is I moved to Denver because it was the most sunny days of the year. It's like 330 days of sun every year in Colorado. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, that's gotta be the solution. Like I'm just not getting enough sun, you know? And so I get to Colorado, my girlfriend breaks up with me, my career takes a dive. And so now I'm still depressed and I'm alone and in Denver where I don't know anybody. And so I had to look at like, what, what, why, why am I here again? Like I've been through depression before and I, and I drank for it. I drank over it for years and, and pushed it down with alcohol. This time it was like, wow, this is the exact same thing I felt, except, you know, I thought it was, I thought it was because I was drinking. Like I thought alcohol was the cause of my depression. When in reality, like the depression was just laying in wait until I cleared away all the other stuff. And then that mm -hmm. was the big thing. And so there, when you say addiction and mental health, like it's, it's layers to the same onion. Yeah. Yeah. It is so interconnected. And I think it's really interesting, like how it can come in waves. Like you sometimes think like, or someone looks at like, Oh, if I just get sober, it'll solve everything. Yeah, yep. <laughs> And uh, I feel like there is some almost like a honeymoon period with sobriety where you're just like this momentum and energy, this clarity, and it's all riding and it's crazy and amazing. Yep. And then like life keeps happening and stuff keeps going on. And like, your you know personal mental states and like how you deal with things um it's still there like waiting for you so mm -hmm. um, yeah even like i've gone through some stuff recently like i've been just since i got sober like one of the happiest people you'll meet like always in a pretty great mood and yeah. um yeah recently i like really let the stress of uh the company get to me and just all this stuff weighing down and it was like whoa like i've never like felt this before i've never exactly. been in this, this state like why can't i shake myself out of it you know and like kind of got down like i'm supposed to be the one that's like fine all the time even though i mean with my company and everything we do we preach all the time it's okay to not be okay and i feel like i got a real big dose of that recently that like just because you're sober it doesn't mean like everything's going to be perfect all the time and um yeah i just had to like responsibly ride through the waves and do what i need to do to get back to a good place yeah. And that's to have that clarity too. That's like the clarity I'm talking about is like you, instead of like being numb to it or unaware of it, like you're like, wait a second, like what's going on here. And that's, a yeah. huge, that's a huge, and, and I imagine like with, with drinking or in the past before you, before you had the knowledge that you have now where, you know, like either fighting it or trying to change it or numb, um, it. numb yeah. it, whatever, like would, would drag it out for months or years. Whereas now like you, you can say like, you know, I'm having a hard time right now. It's okay. Let's see what's going on. Why is this here? And then it's over in a few months. Yeah. Yeah. Or less. Like, or, it, yeah. Like, yeah. Really interesting to have that, like, um, yeah, precision view almost to just be That's like, yeah. I need to figure out, like, what's going on and, like, the, the wherewithal and mindset to, like, go and journal or, like, oh, I haven't been going to the gym enough or, man, I really do need to get that therapist and, like, mm -hmm. you know, all those little steps versus, like, if you're feeling a little sad back in my drinking days, I would have just like kept drinking or like gone out again that night or like, you know, just tried to like brush it away. And like that stuff just can't be brushed away. So it is really cool that sobriety kind of gives you the um, ability to like use your tools to solve your shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Have you, ever, have you ever heard the beach ball analogy about that? No. So like if you take a, a beach ball into like a pool or the ocean and you try and like 
keep the ball underwater. The, the fully inflated beach ball, if you try to like keep it underwater, no matter what you do, yeah. it's always popping back up. It'll yeah. always pop back up. And that's the equivalent of like trying to stuff emotions, trying to stuff feelings, trying to stuff pain or overwhelm or whatever it is, stress. Like it's, it's like all in this. Yeah. yeah. If you want the yeah. ball underwater, take the air out of it and put it underwater. You know, but like if it's fully inflated and all that power in there, it's going to be keep coming back up for you. Yeah. So I have an inkling, but like, what would you say you're most proud of in your life? What am I most proud of in my life? I would, it's, I'm going to say the man that I've become, but it's because I went through the, the mental health and the addiction. It's getting through like that, that addiction battle. Um, I mean, like you talking about before, like there was times when no one else believed in me. And there was times when I'm like, this is just the way it is for me. And it's, and I think it's partly because like, you know, I, when that, when that time, when the time came for it to end, like I just manned up and did it. I just, mm-hmm. I was like, this has to happen. And like, it's one thing that I can all, I can relate it to pretty much anything in my life. It's like, what was the, what, what was the basis of getting sober? It was action. It was doing something to, to move away from something that you didn't like or move towards something that you did like. You know, and so like just being able to like overcome that dragon is, mm-hmm. I mean, like no matter what, if I wake up in a bad mood or if something happens during the day, you know, it, it's like they, they always say like, it's better sober. Like having a drink is not going to make anything better. Yeah, that's so awesome. I'm proud of you. Uh, Thank you. I'm <laughs> proud of you too. <laughs> super, super cool and resilient. And um, yeah, just so awesome to hear your story. If you had to pass along a couple pieces of advice to people who are listening, mm-hmm. uh, what's your like top tips for, for life? My top tips for life. My, I'd say my top tip is to allow yourself to be a beginner. Mm-hmm. If you ever want to do anything to be a beginner, you know, we growing up, like we don't realize it, but we've been a beginner. We were a beginner for the first 18 years of our life about life. We always forget, like we didn't, you know, we don't know, but we didn't like walk at our first try. We didn't talk at our first try. And so a big problem that I had with sobriety and in, in, my career and relationships and everything is that I want to be, I want to be three years ahead of where I am all the time. Like, I don't want to go through the, the learning process. I don't want to, I don't want to be a beginner. And so when I got sober, one of the hugest lessons that I ever learned and, and I, and I did this when I was a personal trainer too, was like, I was like, I don't know anything. I don't know how I'm going to listen to whatever people have to say. I'm going to take suggestions. I'm going to, I'm going to go inward and I'm going to allow myself to learn how to do this. Mm-hmm. And with personal training, like, and with real estate, like, it was like, I wanted to be the best broker in the office on day one. And it's just like, nothing works like that. <laughs> like there's nothing in life that, you know, you have to, ma- you have to, before you can be good, you have to master average before you can be great. You have to master good and so on. And so yeah. allowing yourself to be a beginner, allowing yourself to say, I don't know, or I'm not okay. Or can you show me how to do that? Or I need help. Like any of that stuff is allowing yourself to be a beginner. And, to, and this leads me to my second thing is that vulnerability is the magic bullet to whatever you're going through. Whether that's a relationship problem, if, you, if you're having a problem in your relationship, you're probably lacking a little bit of vulnerability somewhere. because you're, So you're, put, you're shutting off some, some part of yourself that, mm-hmm. that you're either protecting, that you don't want the other person to know. And then, and I mean, any, anything about vulnerability, I, I always say, just go watch Brene Brown. I mean, she's, she's like the guru of vulnerability, but- you Bless know, her. 
Yeah, so much. If anyone listening knows her, tell her I need to talk to her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's, she, she, I think she's from Austin. I think I, I can maybe make a. Make Talk a yeah. She's so awesome. She, yeah. She's great. And so, you know, just like, and her take on, and my take on vulnerability is, is like, when you, when you, you're not, you're almost not getting vulnerable for yourself. It's a, it's a, you're getting vulnerable to take the power away from whatever it is that, that is hiding you. But if you're not vulnerable, you're not even, you're not even doing, you're doing nothing to promote any sort of relationship with anything, including yourself. If you're, mm-hmm. if you're hiding from another, if you're hiding something about yourself from another person, the relationship, whether this is career, friends, guy, guy, girl, girl, intimate relationships, whatever it is, you're putting a ceiling on that relationship if you're not being authentically you. And like, and if, and it's cliche maybe, but the truth is, is like with the Dr. Seuss, the people that care, don't mind the people that mind don't mm, care. Don't like, yeah. 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 That quote. Yeah, um, totally. It's so true. Like, if yeah. you, like people dig when you're real and raw and vulnerable. <laughs> they dig it so hard. I love that. It's yeah. so true. I, you also just like give such a gift when you're vulnerable. I think um, yeah. honestly, the reason dope for hope exists with our company is from the first few times I mentioned that I had gotten sober and seeing like the public response from it of people being like, wow, like, Thank you for sharing that. You know, I'm like going through something similar, X, Y, Z. It felt like what a bridge to lay down. Like me being kind of uncomfortable saying something that was pretty, you know, rough from my past or a hard decision I had to make or whatever people are going to think of, you know, being an alcoholic. Um, it let like a couple of people feel a little less alone and that's super cool. So as awkward as you may feel or weird as you may feel sharing something sometime, it's like you can get a really big gift back by helping someone else. Yeah, I love that you said lay the bridge down. That's a, that's an amazing. I'm gonna use that going yeah. forward. <laughs> Get your analogy uh, book out. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, it is kind of like that, and I think your other point um, is really true about being okay with being a beginner. I am like chronically terrible at this. I just yeah. I used to say like I don't do stuff I'm not good at because <laughs> like, I hate sucking at something. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like I really try to work on that and and enjoying the journey too. I felt like was part of that. Um. I'm frequently, you know, trying to grow this really, this business to be a really big business and, you know, go big and do all this stuff. And I am frequently having a hard time, uh, enjoying the journey where I'm always like, why aren't we here? Why aren't we here? It's like the next milestone and stopping to be like, holy shit, where I'm at is super cool. Yes, <laughs> like, totally. You know, like yeah. that little pinch yourself, like wake up, like every day I get to like run a cookie dough company or like for yeah. you, you know, you're doing such awesome stuff. Like you. you just, um, yeah, enjoy like where you're at and, and the process of getting where you're going. And that's, a, that's something that's overlooked pretty often. Yeah. And then I have one, I, I first of all, I love the name of your company. It, the spelling <laughs> and the play dope. on words. Yeah. It's pretty dope. <laughs> <laughs> so Glad um, you're a pun fan. if you have any extra dough puns, they're welcomed. <laughs> I'll, I'll see what I can do. I'm a big, pun, I'm a big fan of puns. <laughs> so um, one last thing that I would say along those lines of, of um, like getting to know yourself and like going through life. And you said, accept the, accept, or, um, enjoying the journey. Um, acceptance does not require your approval is another thing that has been monumental for me because it, it's, and that takes like, if you're in a situation you don't like, the only thing that is making it painful for you is the fact that you're not accepting it and mm. then you're, you're not approving of it. Like it's I don't know. You're, yeah, like you're, you're uh, yes, exactly. So you're like heartbroken. Mm-hmm. And the thing about it is, is like, 
I don't approve of this. Like, I don't approve of my heart getting broken at all. But that doesn't do anything to for the fact that it's your heart is broken and, and that just happened. You know, the sooner mm-hmm. you can get into like acceptance about a situation, the sooner that you can handle it and move past it. Mm-hmm. Yep, totally. I that's awesome. Like, you've got to stop putting your own like uh, sort of like preconceived notions on what should have been or needed to be, and mm-hmm. like. Just- being able to accept, um, yeah, what's happened and, and like knowing what you can control, you know? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Um, well, this is amazing. I guess I just want to leave it with, you know, how can people get in touch with you if they've, you know, felt inspired by your story and just want to write you a note being like, you totally kicked butt, Sam. I love you. (laughs) Uh, where could they do that? Or where could they get involved with the unbreakable man project? So, um, the best, or I'm on, I'm on all three of the big social media platforms, and that would be uh, LinkedIn, just my name. Um, Facebook, again, my name, and I, and there's um, Instagram is at the Unbreakable Man, and then my website is theunbreakableman.com. And Someone yeah. who works for Twitter is like crying right now because you said the three big ones. <laughs> oh no, I know, I don't do. I, I, uh, the Not into the one, yeah. <laughs> So funny. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So the unbreakable man.com or no? Uh, the unbreakable man.com. Yes. Awesome. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, so cool. Well, I'm just super personally excited that we got connected and I can't wait to, um, yeah, hear what people think from listening to this and getting some guidance from you. You are uh, super inspiring and I'm just happy to know you. Thank you, Kelsey, so much. It's been, it's been great to uh, get introduced to you too and see what you're up to. It's, it's really awesome to see. What, so the, great. What, what the gifts of sobriety can be between the two of us. We'll get Brene Brown on here. That is our ending mission. <laughs> that, that would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it would be awesome. Well, you have a great rest of your day and thank you so much for jumping on Sam. All right, Kelsey. Thank you very much too. Whoa. Thanks for listening to that whole podcast. You rock. All right. We hope you're leaving here today with even a smidge more inspiration than when you showed up. If you did, my job is done here. Subscribe to our podcast. Follow us at eat dope. And if you're craving some cookie dough, and I mean, when are you not, order at dope.com. It's D-O-U-G-H-P.com and use code SOBERPODCAST for 10% off. Have a dope day.